The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome, everyone, listening to the Work-Life Balance. This is Rick Morris, and we're happy that you're joining us on another Friday uh, to learn how to balance not only your work life, but your personal life, and really learn some skills that uh, can help you all throughout uh, and that's exactly what our guest is going to be helping us uh, with today. I've I've had the uh, personal knowledge of, of knowing this guest. Uh, I've seen her present. Uh, you know, I, I get a chance to speak at symposiums around the world, and and when I do so, I, I pop into rooms and and pop out of rooms, and and really, you know, do what a lot of people do when they go to these symposiums. You, you get about thirty seconds to five minutes of a presenter to to find out whether or not I'm I'm really going to listen to somebody and and when I first heard this person speak she absolutely blew me away and uh started to develop a, a professional relationship and and follow this person's career uh and she's been a, a fantastic uh partner and and resource ever since uh and has a lot of powerful information that um that can be shared and, and what I love about her story what I love about what she presents to us uh, it not only helps us in, in a work life and professional life and a presenting life, but also just in, in your personal life and how you carry yourself. Uh, so you are listening to the Work-Life Balance. You can find me at, at Rick A. Morris. You can find us at www.rsquareconsulting.com. Uh, but I am going to bring in my guest right away, as I usually do. Uh, she is an author of nine books. You want to talk about overachieving, nine books. Uh, and she believes in how you present is how you're remembered in in you know, that first impression to the last impression, I think, is extremely important. Um, she's the principal of presenting powerfully, uh, where the areas of expertise include keynotes and facilitations, training delivery, collaborative teaming events, one-on-one life, business career, and presentation coaching, and uh, the collaborative brand that drives clients to her, and in turn, the measurable results, is partnering with individuals and organizations to enhance communication, behaviors, and relationships. So without further ado, let me introduce Ms. Debbie Lundberg to you. Debbie, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on, Rick. Oh, thank you. So, Debbie, you served uh, General Motors. Uh, you're a VP of uh, Right Management Consultants. Uh, you are a 2005 Instructor uh, of the Year. Uh, you've been uh, independent consulting since uh, late 2005. Uh, Torchbearer of 2002 Olympics. You're a certified leadership coach, uh, subconscious restructuring life coach, which I, I, I want to dive into that a little bit to, to understand what that really means. Absolutely. Um, and, and you're part of the USF, the University of South Florida College of Business, uh, mm-hmm. where you teach your powerful presentations. Um, you're a board of directors, Miss Tampa Scholarship uh, Pageant, member of the National Speakers Association, honorary commander for McDill Air Force Base. Uh, did I leave anything out? Uh, as well as running your own your own organization, known as Team Lundberg. Is that correct? 
Well, Team Lundberg is my husband and uh, our four-legged daughter, Lexi, and I, and I'm most proud of that. But Presenting Powerfully is my firm, and you covered so many of the things that I enjoy getting to do throughout Tampa, Tampa Bay, and really throughout the United States. And Tampa, Tampa is near and dear to my heart. That's where my speaking career actually started. So I met you uh, on my very first professional speech at that symposium in, in PMI Tampa Bay. So those guys are, are near and dear to my heart. I love coming to Tampa. In fact, I'll be in Tampa next week. Oh, terrific. They are. They're a great group. They, they run a tight ship, and they have a good time getting there. So they're, they're certainly enjoyable. For sure. So talk a little bit about your organization, then we'll, we'll dive into to our topic here. But just uh, a little bit about your firm and, and what you guys do. Thanks for asking. I get to work with individuals and organizations, as you mentioned, in regards to how we present ourselves. Often, we Americans have become what I call slabified. And what I mean by that is we are slobs sometimes in the way we communicate, behave, and relate to one another. And by allowing that to be our norm or to be our relaxed state, we forget that we are still presenting ourselves, our brand, and our ideas, whether it's personally or professionally. So having the the firm name Presenting Powerfully, it gets people's attention, and often people will say to me when they hear that, either, oh, I don't usually dress like this, or they say, I don't like to present, I'm not very good at it. And it's interesting to see that response because it really is empowering to feel good about the way you present, whether it's how you look, how you speak, the way you convey your energy, and it all drives to people's impressions of us and people do business with and become friends with people they like, they admire, they trust. And so I get to work with those individuals who want to level up or organizations who really want a clear energize positive message that's relatable and realistic for their teams or their organizations to follow through on and hold them accountable. So how do you handle that number one objection? I'm I'm gonna hit you with that right out of the gate. You know, well I hate public speaking or I'm not a good public speaker or you know, I'm terrified of public speaking. It, you know, that's always the number one objection I hear uh, people say that to me all the time after after I get off stage is, you know, how do you do that? I'm not, I'm not very good at that. Yes. Yes, and I tell people, if you continue to say you're not very good at it, you will continue to not be very good at it. And they usually smile. And then those who are really interested, if they want to know, I tell them there are three key factors in being an effective presenter. Number one, be the expert. Be the expert on whatever the topic is. It doesn't mean other people will not have expertise. Certainly, You have great expertise, and there are others who do, and we respect each other for that. But be one of the experts, not a dabbler, not somebody who just has exposure, but be the expert. That's number one. Number two, put the audience first. Being a really effective presenter to one, to ten, or to thousands, it's about the audience. It isn't about any of us as a presenter. And the third is get out of your own way. And do not let having an off day, a peculiar moment before you go on stage or you pick up the phone to, to present an idea, just get out of your way. If we tell ourselves, I'm not good at this or I'll never be as good as Rick is, 
then that doubt plays into our psyche, and that psyche impacts how our actual presentation is. And I'll, I'll go ahead and, it, you know me, I, I, I tend to be a little bit more personal than I should be, but I'll share a story from yesterday. You know, yesterday was not a particularly great day for me, Debbie. I, I, I literally uh, was walking into a, a demo about an hour beforehand, and the power supply for my computer blew up in my hand. I'm a, flames, blue things, everything. I mean, the power supply blew up in my hand. And wow. um, got a couple of um, uh, calls from customers that were upsetting, and then found out I actually lost a deal, too, and I hate to lose. I hate to lose more than anybody mm-hmm. hate to lose. But we were going into a demo to land a new client, and there was somebody who was with me who saw me go through all of this. And I was, I was very, very down walking into that, but was able to flip that switch and, and, and do my thing and, and have my excitement and, and walk out of there. And there was somebody who wasn't with me that whole time going, how do you, you, know, how do you have all that energy? And, and the person who was with me was like, you have no idea how low he was walking in. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear that. In, in, uh, it's not a talent. It's just, as you're saying, putting that client first. They don't need to know I was having a bad day. They don't need to know, you know everything that I was – and people as humans, I think we like to have that commiseration. People like to do the, oh, woe is me. Uh, but you have to learn how to be able to put that stuff behind you, as you're saying, and, and put that audience first because that's who I was there for. They weren't there for me. I was there for them. And you've got to be able to put that stuff behind you. You are right. And the minute we let that take over, we've succumbed to the negativity. And the audience, as you said, they're, they're there and they are only ever going to come to what I, what I anticipate and I coach folks on is 80% of your energy an audience is there to listen, to learn. If you're pitching them or you, you have a demo, they're there because you want their business, you want their buy-in. And as a keynote speaker, I love that challenge, as you said, and, and you and I know we're both competitive. And having that idea of how can I present for this audience that the audience gets what they want out of it? And so let me go back to what you were asking about when something happens and you're down and, and things go peculiarly. They absolutely do. And it's not, and I underscore not, it is not fake it till you make it. That's not at all what I'm saying, and I don't believe that's what you're saying either. What it is is focus. So we don't fake it. We focus it. And when we focus our energy and think this potential client or this audience was kind enough to agree to see me and then show up, well, then let me put them first. Let me give them what they came here for, the best I can do, my expertise, nothing about the baggage. And if I may share a story, at that particular event where we met, I went to it another year and I took a client, and there was a speaker who came in, and my client was really interested to see her, so we sat in the front. And it was, she was late getting started, and the equipment wasn't working right, and she got mad, visibly upset about it, and then continued to talk about it throughout. And if we hadn't been in the front, I believe we would have left, because that negativity and that consistent reminder of, well, if I had my slides, you'd be able to see this, or if we'd started on time, I wouldn't have had to rush. And going back to the things that passed, it doesn't move us forward. Being present moves us forward. So those couple of things of don't fake it till you make it, focus and make it happen, and then let go 
what happened before because we can't change that while we're in front of an audience. And you probably don't even remember what the topic was going to be or anything else that she said, just the fact that she was mad and she didn't have her slides. I've seen, I've seen that mm-hmm. multiple times. You're absolutely right. I had a day, I rarely give three talks in one day, but I happened to schedule three, and it was very doable, and I was energized by it. And in the morning, I was close to home, and as I, I do a lot of top ten lists, and as I got to number four of my ten, I knocked over a water that came down the podium, which I'm not a, typically a podium speaker. I like to move around. But again, putting the audience first, this was the way they liked their setup. So that was fine. And the water spilled down and went completely down my dress. Very <laughs> you know, soaked it. And that was okay. And I just laughed about it and moved on. And eventually the dress was, was going to dry. So as I drove over to Orlando from Tampa, I had a, a protein bar in the car. And when I got out of the car, I saw some protein bar on my seat of my car. And I thought, huh, that's too bad. And then quickly it dawned on me, it's likely on the back of my dress now as well. <laughs> and, and the timing was tight. It, I wasn't late. But I thought I can either go into the restroom and now have the backside of my dress wet or just go in and... And figure it's fine. It can't be as bad because it's not about me. It's about the message for the audience. Not even my message, but the audience, the message the, that they want to receive. Then when I went in, same, same day, I go in to do the final presentation, and all of my slides are showing upside down. <laughs> and the people, the IT folks, were so nice, and they said, we, can't, we cannot figure this out. And I said, it's okay. I'll do the talk without them. And they were so apologetic, but... Those things happen, and the talk went great and got high reviews and great scores on things. But, you know, I spilled something, I sat in something, and I didn't have slides, and it was a great day because the audiences were happy. That's and that, that was a Monday, and I, I hope I never forget that day because it, it was humbling and it was fun. Absolutely. Well, we've got plenty more stories and a lot more tips coming from Debbie. We're going to take a quick break, listen to our sponsors, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. 
That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. And please call in if you have any questions for Debbie or myself, or you can reach me, as they said, via email. I do get a lot of questions about the music that plays uh, on break. That is a, uh, a song that I was actually the executive producer of. It's a group called The Party. They were part of the uh, Mickey Mouse Club back in the day. And uh, we've got uh, an announcement on the uh, March 11th show. I'm actually going to have two of those uh, people that were part of that group and on that show. Uh, Damon Pampolina and uh, Chase Hampton are going to be on the show. So that we're looking forward to that one. Today we have Debbie Lundberg on the show. We're talking about presenting powerfully, uh, sharing some stories of our speaking careers, and really about how to present yourself powerfully. And one of the big things that happens inevitably, and it's a big thing for me too, it's, it's about connection with the audience. But you know, it's sometimes easier to speak in front of a thousand people than it is five people. And so what are those differences and even similarities, Debbie, uh, in presenting to one or two versus that large group? Absolutely. There are similarities to speaking with a small group and a large group, and they include your, it's still a presentation. Often I hear people say, well, if it's a small group, I'll just wing it. And that is still a presentation, and whether it's one person, two people, ten people, they deserve the presentation that you're giving and we don't want to put ourselves in that mindset of smaller is more casual because we can have a casual approach and still be professional. So there's a difference there. But remember, there's, it's still a presentation. There's still a message. And there's still your audience. So they come first. And there's a goal. In each case, there's a goal. So even if it's a phone call, a meeting, a pitch, or a, a keynote or a training, Remember, please, that there's a goal, and if you share that goal with your audience, no matter how large or small they are, then they know what the focus is. And the goal is not, I'm going to tell you. Instead, it's the goal is you'll walk away with these things. The goal is to accomplish this. So, again, it's about the audience. So those are some of the similarities. The differences include that connection. You mentioned it, Rick. If if the group is very large, you can only connect with so many of them during the presentation and even before. 
at the same time, the, the, the more you can connect with, the better. So even if there's a thousand people in, you know, in a huge room in Vegas versus ten people, then you want to shake as many people's hands and be available because that's the connection. I remind people that right or wrong and sometimes a little bit saddening is most Americans are neutral to negative on what they expect out of a presenter. They're looking for, uh, is this going to be any good? But when we make that connection with them, they go neutral to positive because if they've had that good experience and then they're filtering in sitting with people, they'll say, oh, I met Rick and he seems pretty good. I'm looking forward to this. So they bring that energy. Another difference is the space and that when you have an intimate space, you can get more familiar and quickly get to that connection. The big space, it's important that we take up that space. That may sound odd, and I'm only five foot two, but people will often think I'm taller, and I joke about my heels and my hair, but uh, there's, there's some truth to it. But the reason we want to take up space and move around is that difference, because when it seems as though someone's so small and that 1,000th person or that 500th person who's in the very back row, he or she still deserves to be that audience that matters. And so the space and moving around and, and making motions that are impactful are terrific with the big group. Has been updated. Absolutely. Some of my favorite ones, yeah, my favorite presentations I ever had are the, are the smaller ones. And, you know, you never know what you're walking into, and, and especially when you do symposiums and things of that sort. And, you know, some people see it as a slight when, you know, there, there could be 600 people at a symposium and five breakout sessions and, you know, 10 people come to yours. And, and they, mm-hmm. again, go straight to that negative space of, well, nobody wanted to come see me or, or nobody knows who I am. And, and, you know, I see that as the challenge. Great. Nobody knows who I am, but next time they will, right? <laughs> next time yes, they're coming. Yes, and. And the mindset, and it's my belief, I encourage people to put this in your mind, the right people are where they are supposed to be. And if, that are, if those are the 10 people of the, the large symposium, then those 10 people in that audience, they're the right ones to hear your message. And you could, get, you could get 10 referrals out of that, and you could speak to 500 people and get five. And Absolutely. That, that, that's the longer range. And if you, if you still know you're the expert, you still put the audience first, and you still... Uh, get out of your way, then you can give one of the best presentations for the audience and they can walk out saying, I feel special. I feel really good about it. And one other difference that, uh, forgive me, I didn't mention, is the feedback. So if you're looking for feedback in a small group, you can often make that eye contact and get people to chime in. And, and often people feel connected and responsible, so to speak, to give you answers, where if it's a large group, and you ask for some audience participation, it's almost as though someone else will do it. So it's, it's important that you think about how you position things if you want to get audience engagement so that it doesn't fall flat. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, keeping your, keeping your word, I think, too, is, is a big thing. I did a seminar uh, for, for a chapter in Texas it was one of those that they had to have a certain amount of people um, or, you know, they wouldn't pay expenses or, or pay my fee. And, and, uh, but they only had, I think, three that signed up. And uh, so they were like, well, we think we're going to cancel. And I said, no, we're, let's go for it. And they said, but we can't cover the cost. And I said, yeah, but there was three people that did want to come. 
Mm-hmm. So I'll show up for those three. Uh, it, and it was phenomenal. I had a great time with those three. I ended up getting two of those three people as clients. Um, and then the next time I went, uh, I had uh, 64 people at the seminar. So uh, I, I think it's surprise. important for people, <laughs> right, right? But it's it's important for people to keep their word, especially if they're starting to build a speaking career, um, to not take things like that personally and to do what you say you're going to do uh, because it does come, right? It does flow. Um, and you're right, it, it's about that connection. Mm-hmm. And you're, you, I love what you said, keep your word, because funny you mentioned three people. I had a, an engagement like that in the first year of my practice, and there were only three people who were there, and the people were so apologetic to me, and I said, please, you know, better three than two and better two than one and better one than none. And it was so enjoyable and that was an instance where I still gave the presentation and I sat down a couple of times and had conversations and that what they gave me was equal or more than what I gave them because it was so personal, to use your word about, about getting personal. And they just they couldn't be more apologetic. And at the end, I said, there's nothing to apologize for because... Three wonderful people were here, and they're part of my life, and they're part of my story, and I hope I made a difference that I got to be part of their story, too. And that's the, that's the perspective of being appreciative and and owning what your commitment. I, I totally agree. Somebody I just joined up with and, and somebody I you know look up to is, is John Maxwell, right? And, mm-hmm. and he's that, that spirit of giving, and one of the... Um, uh, Quotes that he's he said that that has stuck with me. It's it's uh, uh, better uh, better to be uh, humble than uh, humiliated, right? It's yeah. it's better to have uh, hum- it's better to have humility than humiliation. I think is Isn't is the true? way to do that, and and that that has been something that that I've really been trying to build my career around understanding. And in you know, so many people think that you know when you become a speaker, you're doing what we do for a living and empowering people that there's ego involved on our side. And I think anybody who does it for the ego side of it is going to fail because there's the, the only time I, I ever feel, and it's not ego, but it's appreciation, is, mm-hmm. is when you do return back to something and, and somebody says, you know, I was here two years ago, I heard you, I, I put what you said in practice and it, it has helped me tremendously. That's what I'm in it for, right? It's not the yeah. money, there's not power or fame, it's that helping that person one-on-one. A, a young professional who I respect what she has done in our local area came up to me and the other day something similar, and it was at a social event, and she said, I've been meaning to tell you, I went through a session you talked about time ownership, and she said, I implemented a lot of things, and one thing you said, I thought, I'm not going to do that. And she said, I remember you said, take what you want from this. This is for you. And she said, but this year I was looking at my notes, and I decided I'm going to do that that Debbie mentioned. I'm going to take my to-do list and put it in my calendar and not have a list because I'm... I'm opposed to the idea of a list because I believe it perpetuates your mind wondering when it's going to get done. So if you make that list and then schedule it, you can get rid of the list. And she was kind enough and thoughtful enough to say to me, I started it the first week in January, and she said this to me just last week or a few days prior, within the last 10 days, and she said it's made a huge difference. And I, I thanked her for telling me because she didn't ha- certainly didn't have to, but you're right. I thought, my gosh, over a year and a half ago, 
And I really appreciate that she made time for that. And that gave me a, a lift in my step that it mattered to somebody what I said. And not because of the ego, like you're saying, but because it was that connection and that appreciation for, for the respect, really. Absolutely. So we're up against another break. When we come back, we're going to talk. I'd like to ask you about a couple of tips about being remembered positively and overcoming some bad impressions. I think our our listeners would really gain from uh, your insight on that. So please hang on after the break. Um, Also, while you're on break, uh, please go visit some of Debbie's uh, websites. Uh, You can go to Presenting Powerfully. It's presentingpowerfully.com, correct? Am I saying that right? It's Presenting Powerfully by Debbie Lundberg. So it's it's shorter to just type in Debbie Lundberg.com. Debbie Lundberg.com. So while we're on break and while you're listening to our sponsors, go visit her websites, find out all about her, find her books, order her books. She's got a ton of them. And uh, also you can follow her on Facebook and on Twitter uh, and get some of what she calls her Lundbergisms. Uh, <laughs> and we'll be uh, right back after this break. You're listening to the Work Life Balance. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment, and not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. Welcome back to the Work-Life Balance. Uh, We have Debbie Lundberg on. She is a powerful professional in presenting powerfully. Uh, Debbie, what are a couple of tips uh, for being remembered positively? In all of our interactions, we meet people you know, day-to-day, not only uh, personally but professionally. What, what are some of those tips that you'd like to uh, tell our listeners about being remembered positively? Yes, and interestingly, before I share some of those, if somebody doesn't remember me personally and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't, don't remember if we've met and I know I've met them, I'll say, please don't apologize. It's my responsibility to be memorable. And I smile. And it, number one, takes them off the hook. And number two, it's true. It is not someone else's responsibility to remember me. It's my opportunity to have them remember me positively. So the way that I encourage people to do that is, number one, smile. Whether you love your teeth, love your smile or not, smiling welcomes people and welcomes people to you and shows that you're approachable. And an approachable person is much more memorable than someone who, is, who looks distant or uncomfortable. Then engage. Engage with the person not from a perspective of I do this and I do that, but instead what brought you here or what do you like to do or, or what attracted you to this, this presenter or wherever it is, even if you're at something social or at a store, but engage the other person because they're still the audience, even if it's one person, then be sincere. I mentioned earlier, don't fake it to you make it, focus to make it, and that comes with being memorable and remembered positively, too. If you're sincere, you may not like everything someone says. You don't have to agree, but be sincere in, in your responses and your offering. Offer follow-through. Speaking of offering is is ask someone if it's appropriate, may I email you or may I call you or which, what's the best way to contact you? I believe using the expression, if it's appropriate, is such a pleasant, positive, memorable ask that people are surprised by it and they typically say yes. And then connect other people. You and I had an opportunity to talk on the break about we, we've known each other and we like to connect each other. That should be fun. It's, it's, it's not that we're charged with connecting others, but you'll be remembered positively if you are the person who connects people and you do it happily. And then lastly, not that it's the last thing to do, but the, the, the last part in what I typically message is be grateful. That gratitude that you show, if you thank someone even for spending a minute or two, I'll often say to someone at an event, you are kind to spend a couple of minutes with me. Thank you. And, and they're surprised by that because I, I am sincere and I mean it. And showing that gratitude shows some humility and shows that I know you could speak to other people and you are kind enough to spend your time with me. So I, I say smile, engage, be sincere, offer, follow through, you know, get permission, connect others and show gratitude. Yeah, you mentioned connect others. What one of the best people that I know of of that we had him as a, a guest on the show, and I'm, I'm not sure if you know John Stenbeck. Um, probably one name. of the one of the best I've ever seen at connecting others. I mean, he 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 positively engages you in a conversation, 
and then we'll we'll pick out something that you said and say and inevitably goes do you know this person no okay and, and within 30 seconds there's an email connecting the two of you going you know you guys share similar interests you you both like volleyball you both like tennessee you both have daughters mm-hmm. that are that are in high school uh, you you two should connect i've i've never seen anybody better my entire life than than john stenbeck at doing that and, and of course I, I love the guy for it right i've, I've met more people right. through him than, than anything else, and it, it certainly you know makes me think of him fondly at all times. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm sponsoring something with Miss Tampa because I'm on the board, and there's a, a woman who is so generous in connections and offering, and I was happy that I could invite her to something that I was sponsoring, and I thought I've wanted to do that to show that appreciation, and I can connect her to some other people who she hasn't had a chance to meet. And to me, that's exciting. That's another bonus to the event because I'm looking forward to knowing she's going to meet some people who I believe she could do business with or be friends with and, and what could be better. For sure. We do that a lot. I you know, I, I run in a lot of entertainment circles and so when I have the ability to bring friends in into that that have, that don't have the ability to see that to go go to some of these shows, meet some of these entertainment, you know, people that they wouldn't have the opportunity to do so and see their eyes light up and and have that ability to do so. It's fun to watch that, right? It's it's fun Isn't to see it? them, you know, learn new circles that they may not have an opportunity to do so. It's a bonus so, gift. It's as though something was hidden in something else, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And something, you know, sometimes it reminds us that we may take, you know, for granted too, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the good side, right? That's remembering us positively. What if I got off on the wrong step? You know, what if what if I made that bad impression or that that first bad impression? I was having a bad day. I was unable to shrug it off, mm-hmm. uh, or I just came across rude, or or I did something, that, quite frankly, that that made you mad. Yes, I I we've had it happen. I say progress, not perfection, because certainly I have unfortunately rubbed people wrong, or like you said, not been able to shrug something off. And I remind myself, and I encourage all of us to remember. We don't, it's true, we don't get a second chance to make a first impression, and yet we do get a first chance to make a second impression, and we have to own it. We have to say to somebody, and not, I'm sorry, I mean, I'm sorry is okay, don't get me wrong, but if you say, please forgive me, if you say that in a sincere way, it's a humbling moment to say, please forgive me for my words, my actions, or for my impact on you when we first met. That's owning it because so many of us hope the person won't remember and we avoid them. But you know what? If you walk up to the person, put your hand out, make great eye contact and say, Rick, please forgive me for how I behaved when we were together last week. I hope we can both put it behind. Can we reset and start fresh? And somebody may say no, but the majority of people say yes. I, I had that happen. I went to University of Michigan undergrad, and I'm into sports and absolutely college football, and somebody was talking about one of the stadiums that was being added on to at Florida State. Well, I said, well, it's a lot of money that they're putting into such a small stadium because it's like $85 million, and I was joking. <laughs> but the person wasn't as into football as I was, and I realized that that just probably sounded rude and insulting. And I said to the person later, please forgive me for my comment that was clearly not as funny as I thought it would be about the football stadiums coming from Michigan 
we have a rivalry with some schools. And the person genuinely just didn't know that. But she did think I was rude. And when I told her, she said, oh, okay. And she said, thanks. I did think that was strange. I mean, she even admitted it, that she thought it was <laughs> strange. So I was the wrong one in the wrong. And fortunately, I noticed her expression, and she didn't laugh. And so own it, acknowledge it, ask for that. I call it the reset button. And um, there was an organization who used to have that easy button, and they used those commercials. It's not easy, I will tell you, to ask for the reset button. What it is is it's, it's bold and you're vulnerable. But by saying, can we please start fresh, I like to use the word fresh because that way they know, and, and then move on. You just don't want to keep bringing it up. You don't want to say, wow, last time I saw Rick, I was rude, and I'm so glad he's forgiven me, and then you bring it up the next time. No, you really let it go. And that's how we can overcome a bad impression. I will say sometimes bad impressions come from not realizing people can see us. And and I hope you don't mind if I expand on that a little bit, but there are often people in parking lots or parking or going into meetings or into symposiums or pitches or anything, and how they walk in and how they treat people on their way in is just as important as how they treat people who are in their audience. So part of having a good impression and not having to overcome a bad impression is treat everybody along the way as though they matter because they do. So I've seen people get out of a car, you know, park, take a parking spot, push through, not hold the elevator to set for someone, and then they come up to me and they're all rosy and I think, wait a minute, that person's just as important, if not more important than I am. Now you're not. Now I question the sincerity. So we also want to avoid ever making that bad impression by being mindful that the impression doesn't start when we see someone. The impression starts when they see us, and we're just not sure when they're going to see us. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, I've, I've seen the people's you know faces drop when they realize who they actually are speaking to mm-hmm. uh, because they discounted everything up until the point that they actually got introduced. Yes. And now that they know that there's somebody important, you see a change versus treating everybody equally as they should. Yes, absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, and you actually reminded me of something that's going to make me go on a tangent when we come uh, on the other side of this last break. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Debbie Lundberg, and uh, you're listening to the Work-Life Balance. So we've got one more break to go, and we'll be right back. Today, every business is in the software business, and business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world, where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com. 
your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our final segment here on the Work-Life Balance. We've been talking with Debbie Lundberg, and you can reach her at Debbie at DebbieLundberg.com, and that's L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G, Lundberg.com. And we were just talking about uh, you know, bad impressions and, and things like that, and, and she brought up a great point around you know, how people see you and, and, and judge you that way. And one of the things, too, is, is your relationships can start to get off kilter a little bit uh, by little things and, and by not acknowledging those little things um, that can really start to derail an entire team. And it reminded me of a story uh, when I was running a PMO for uh, a large bank. And, you know, originally the honeymoon period was fantastic. We were all getting along, had a great team. And I started to notice that uh, I was losing my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my team was getting frustrated with me. Uh, they weren't reacting to me the same way. And I just noticed, you know, the, the looks and, and the reactions, I was losing them. I didn't know why. And so I was going on a vacation for 12 days. And so I went to my uh, senior project manager, who I knew kind of had an issue with me. And so I held an open meeting with my team. And I said, listen, here's what I want you guys to do. I, I know there's some frustrations with me. I don't know what they are. But here's what I'd like you guys to do. I want you guys to write down everything it is that you don't like about me. And I want you to do one of two things. You can either present it to me directly or you can present it to my boss and put that as part of my performance improvement plan. But I want them addressed, and I will do everything I can to change those. But I'd like to know what it is that's going on so that we can get back to where it was that we were working together with, with Synergy. And uh, you should have seen their faces. They, they couldn't believe I even asked for that. But uh, mm-hmm. like, you, like you said, owning it, it is a big thing. So I went away for 12 days, and, and quite frankly, I was scared. I was bothered for the whole 12 days. I had no idea <laughs> what it was that was going on, but you know, I put it out there. And, and so when I came back, I, I was ready, and, and to my team's credit, they decided to present it to me, and I asked for my boss to be there as well. And each one of the things were, very, were, were big things to them, but they were little things, Debbie, to change. So one of, one of the people said, you know, 
when when I'm speaking, I bring up the fact that he and I would have an argument and that we would resolve that. Now, I was very proud of that fact because I felt that that made us great communicators. What he didn't like is he didn't want people to know that he and I had disagreements. Well, that's yeah. awesome. That's easy for me to change. That's a no-brainer. Uh, another person was very creative, and he didn't like the fact that I would come up and say, hey, listen, I need you to start an email and please say this. Well, he was creative, so he felt like I was dumbing it down for him by saying, please start the email this way. Yeah. That was a behavior I could change immediately. You know, somebody else didn't like the fact that I would look across the room at him in a meeting and, and you know, nod at him to make sure that they caught an important point. Again, I was just making sure that they got it. They felt like I was thinking that they were stupid. Mm-hmm. And a behavior change that I could change immediately. Every single one of the gripes was something like that. And by bringing that out, literally the next day, I could change every one of those behaviors. And the team came right back to where it was. And I actually heard something about a week later where somebody was making a gripe. And one of my team members said, hey, look, it's over. He gave you the opportunity to bring everything out. You had your chance. It's over. And I (laughs) I loved that. But it it brought the team back together. We were back to working to it. And and it made me realize that most of these things really are that small. But that can be changed. and, And those impressions can be changed by owning it by acknowledging it, and by working through it, not just mm-hmm. saying, oh, I don't like that person. Right, or, or defending it. So kudos to you for asking. Feedback is a gift. It's just we don't usually invite people to provide it. So it feels like an attack. So if we invite people as adults, I love that you did that. And like you said, kudos to your team that they chose to deliver it to you and you brought your leader in there as well. So you were, you were ready to own it even though you were nervous about it. And feedback like that is priceless for adults because we go through school, whether we go through high school or, or uh, some college or a lot of college or, or uh, trade schools, when we're in that, we get feedback constantly via grades or acknowledgments and pass-fail. And then we get into the world of work and relationships, and we don't have a, we don't have a report card. So you're right, those things can manifest themselves into something far greater, and if we approach people, they can sometimes be defensive. So if someone defends it, it makes us dislike it more, and if somebody doesn't mention it, they can grow to resent us more. So asking for feedback and then accepting it without defense, but with an attitude of how can I, not why are you telling me this, the how can I approach is terrific and you're proof of it i appreciate that i didn't even know what i was doing but i loved it it it, it, (laughs) it turned out to be a a a really good step in the right direction you know the final thing out there is is there are impressions that you can give that you know where people can't even see you and especially these days and it's growing even more rampant uh with the technology And, and it's not just emails but it's twitter and facebook and everything else uh, so what are some of the things to change in, in, in how I present myself electronically? Absolutely. Let's start with emails because emails are so common. And emails are not instant message or text. And there's a difference there in that with emails, a few, a few key components can change your approachability in emails. And that is use a greeting, a hello, a good morning, a hi, and use the person's name. We, if, you, if you think about, if you go through your day and write down how many times somebody used your name, you won't need a large piece of paper. 
you you could use the fingers on your hand. And we've gotten away from using people's names. So in an email, if you say, if I were to write to you and I say, good evening, Rick, or good afternoon, it warms it. And then next, stay away from using I as much as possible. Importantly, avoiding it as the first word of the first paragraph. Because many, many emails, and if we go back to ones we've received, a lot of them have no greeting. They may or may not have a name, likely not. But they say, I need you to, or I want to. And that, that means they're not getting out of their own way, and they're not putting you, the audience, first. The reader of the email is your audience. And so stay away from that. Bullet things, if you want them to stand out, whether you're prolific or not, the majority of us accept bullets, and we can see that very clearly. If you bullet things, it means there's not an order of importance. If you number things, people perceive that as order of importance. So use those the way that it's appropriate, and then own the follow-through. In other words, if I were to say to you, Good evening, Rick. What a great opportunity it was to speak on your radio show. Thank you for having me as a follow-up, and I list a couple of things. And then I say, I'm looking for your response. Then I could say, should we not connect before uh, Wednesday of next week? I will happily follow up with you on Thursday or Friday via email. Now I'm owning the follow-through, and I'm granting myself permission. And you can say, hmm, if I don't want to get back with Deb on Wednesday because I've got a full calendar, I know she's going to follow up Thursday or Friday. That's okay. So you've created this, this presentation that is warm, welcoming, and the ownership is on the sender. So I'm mindful of that, and I'll carry that over to the social media that you said you ask about. Instead of saying, I had a great time on Rick's show, it would be, what an honor it was, or thank you, Rick because it's about the audience, who's going to read it. And we are perceived as people who are more engaging if we're more about other people than ourselves. So avoiding I, if there were one thing to underscore, is please avoid I as much as possible. And then think about, are you showing a positive, real, not phony, but a real positive approach, or are you often putting a negative slant to things? I mean, if I were to say it's too bad we didn't have an hour and a half because I had a lot more to say, that would be negative. <laughs> and it is too bad we didn't have an hour and a half because I know you got a lot more to say. And having said that, you've got some fantastic books out there. I'd like to remind our, our readers. One is Reversing the Slobification of America. I think it's one of my favorite titles of any book I've ever read. I know that. Thank you. Um, very powerful book. You also have Presenting Powerfully out there. You can find those books. You can go to DebbieLumberg.com. Find those books. Um, also, please visit her website. Learn all you can about Debbie Lumberg. She's a fantastic resource out there, a uh, wonderful resource, not only individually, but to bring into organizations and help out. Uh, Debbie, it's, it's always a joy to talk to you. I, I always appreciate having the ability to uh, share some time with you, uh, and I appreciate you uh, spending some time with our listeners and, and sharing uh, what, what you have to say. You are welcome. Thank you for having me on, Rick. It was a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And next week we're going to have Paul Bruno on, uh, who uh, is is somebody who I admire quite a bit too. He he had a uh, his own uh, uh, blog or not blog, but um, podcast series for a long time. We're going to be talking about his book, uh, which is the First G, uh, which is a project management and history series. Uh, we'll be excited about that. 
Um, and uh, as always, you can listen to any of our past uh, shows on recording. Uh, and uh, we always enjoy any of our listeners uh, dialing in, talking to us, hitting us on Twitter. You can find Debbie at, at Debbie Lundberg. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me with at Rick A. Morris. Uh, and we look forward to anybody checking in with us next week to listen to Paul Bruno or at any time on the Work-Life Balance. Thank you for listening. You, you have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.